In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. We journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution want to take a minute to thank our subscribers. Because of your support, we were able to make this podcast available to everyone. Our reporting and local journalism is because of subscriber support of our newspaper. If you are not a print or digital newspaper subscriber, join us. Go to AJC.com and sign up today. Thank you, and continue to follow our reporting in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and online at AJC.com. And today we are joined by AJC political columnist. Congratulations, by the way, on the, on the formal title, Patricia Murphy. Thank you so much. Hello. Yes, I have a new title, but it's a lot of the same old job. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, Patricia, you joined us a few months ago. Um, we, you helped cover the home stretch, the really fun home stretch for the November race, and then, of course, the Senate runoffs. And now you're transitioning to full time columnist and Jolter. Yes, exactly. You're the Jolt. I'm now an early riser. I've actually always been an early riser ever since I had kids. So this job is perfect because it gives me something to do when I'm up super early in the morning. And then, uh, yeah, then I'll have my column coming out in print Wednesdays and Sundays and online a little bit before that. And we have a cool kind of jolt routine because I usually put my items in late at night, like after my kids have gone to bed and I'm, I'm more of a night owl. Um, and then back when we could go out, I would go out and then put my columns in before going to bed. Now we're not really going out as much. Um, but, uh, but then in the mornings, you know, you, you're up and by the time I'm usually done with my workout in the mornings, the jolt is out and it's great. And then I go and see it and tweet it. So we're getting a good, um, a good routine going. Yes, I think it works great. The only catch is that I, you know, I can't stay up past 830 at night. <laughs> so, if anything happens at 831 in the news, I trust you to take care of it. And then um, I'm usually up by 330 or four. Um, and that I used to do that just so I could sit alone in a room without my kids. And now I now I can work and it's wonderful. So yes, it's, <laughs> it's the perfect marriage of my habits and my work. And uh, I think it works. Out. I think it's working out great. 
Well, we have different we have different definitions of wonderful. Me being up at three thirty in the morning, <laughs> working on the jolt is not it. But to you, maybe working at eleven p.m. on the jolt isn't isn't it wonderful. Um, so, with that being said, uh, we've 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 had a few items in the jolt this week on the AJC's blockbuster poll. It's the first public poll of Georgia since the January runoffs, and really since the November election. Um, and it gauged the mood of the electorate um, going into a crazy uh, legislative season. And um, 2022 is already beginning. Um, we polled um, 858 registered Georgia voters between January 17th to 20- January 28th. It was conducted by UGA School of Public and International Affairs. The margin of error is about 4.2%. And again, it was the first poll since Georgia voted Democratic for president for the first time since 92, and the two GOP incumbents were swept in runoffs that flip controlled the U.S. Senate. And Patricia, what were your main takeaways of this poll? Oh, my goodness. Well, you and I both have seen and felt this internal division in the GOP, especially after the November election. You know, usually after the election is when a party that has maybe been driven apart by primaries or intra-party battles to get past election day, um, usually they are mending fences the day after the election. Ever since the November election day, it just felt like a bomb went off in the Republican Party because Donald Trump lost Georgia and then started to really lean on uh, Governor Kemp and Secretary of State Raffensperger to change those election results. And the, we're now seeing in black and white just how serious of a crisis mm-hmm. that has caused within the Republican Party. And so to me, the top line was that um, Brian Kemp is in uh, really in some trouble with his own Republican voters. Um, he's down at 41% approval rating, and that's really driven not by Democrats, but by Republicans angry with him about this election. Um, and then uh, the most popular Republican in the state right now, who we polled, granted, we only polled Kemp, uh, the state GOP, the president, and Brad Raffensperger. And Brad Raffensperger was just public enemy number one for Donald Trump. And he has emerged from this episode um, the least damaged generally, but even he has major problems within the Republican electorate. So this all, we felt this really viscerally on the trail. And this poll is the first time we're seeing just how real and potentially lasting the consequences could be. You're exactly right. This this put it, this framed it in black and white um, for everyone to see. And it really validated um, a lot of what we were hearing internally from the Republican camps doing, at the end of the runoff cycle going into um, 2022's uh, election cycle with some of what the internal polls I've heard about Governor Kemp's folks have been seeing too, which, yeah, exactly, exactly what you said, underscores the challenges that Republicans have post-Trump. Um, because Governor Kemp's disapproval rating among Republicans has more than quadrupled in just a year's time. Um, President Trump's still has a very solid core of Republicans who, who saw him in a very favorable light. Um, it was about 85%. It was down from the mid-90s, so it, it, it did erode a little bit um, since last year. Um, but still, that, 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 that underscores the 
giant reservoir of support that President Trump still has. And Brad Raffensperger, meanwhile, as you mentioned, he's the only Republican that we polled in relatively decent standing. But that's because 60 or so percent of of Democrats saw him in a favorable light. And he can't count on that uh, continuing into next year because in order to win a primary, he's going to have to go on the offensive against Democrats. And Democrats are going to step up their targeting of him as well. Exactly. They certainly will. And um, we also think that this legislative session, um, you and I are both going to be covering the state capitol. There are going to be a number of Republican proposals to change and potentially rein in um, voting rights in Georgia. That's really going to damage um, Brad Raffensperger because he will probably endorse a number of those. So uh, Democrats who feel like Raffensperger has ridden to their rescue are not going to feel that way for about eight weeks from now. I certainly don't think Yeah. And before we get into some of those voting proposals, let's talk about the Democratic side of the ledger here. Um, Brian Kemp, we said, was underwater. Stacey Abrams is well above um, the the water level. Uh, She's in positive territory. Joe Biden's in positive territory. Um, The Democratic Party of Georgia is outpacing the Republican Party of Georgia in terms of favorability ratings. And a majority of Georgians back the effort to impeach President Trump on grounds that he incited the insurrection. Um, So all those things bode pretty well for Democrats going into 2022. Yeah, well, and even um, our two new senators, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, are way up in positive territory. And um, it just feels like the last 10 weeks have taken the Georgia electorate and just shoved them into the arms of Democrats. These are just very very good numbers for the Democrats and much better than I even expected to see. But when you see this um, again in black and white, the people over 50% are Democrats who have come out of a really tough, ugly election cycle against the Republicans. I mean, Raphael Warnock had more millions and millions of dollars of negative ads thrown at him and he's up um, either 54, 57%. You'll have to remind me. I think it's 54%. Um, Uh, just really a strong standing after such a difficult, ugly election battle that's not even a month old um, or a month behind us. And so it's it, it will also be interesting to see. I think we all feel like, you know, a day is like a year in politics. If time will sort of start to heal these wounds for these parties and, and the voters of Georgia will go back to where we typically see them or will this have lasting impact? We'll, we'll watch for that, but there's going to be a lot to happen between now and then. Yeah, I mean, my guess is the former is that, that voters will go back to their quarters and Georgia will end up being um, much more evenly divided closer to the election rather than this, these overwhelming Democratic um, numbers right now. But, you know, we'll see. Democrats, if these numbers hold, Georgia's a lot more like Virginia than Florida. Georgia's a lot more like a blue state than a state that's perpetually, you know, one or two points um, uh, between the parties. It's hard for me to imagine what Democrats could have done on their own in a single election cycle to come out with results like these. They really needed the help of Republicans. And I I just am so, um, really, it's overwhelming to look at these poll numbers and think how much Donald Trump did to help Democrats in this cycle. And the Demo- while the Republicans were having all of these fights and battles amongst themselves, the 
the Democrats were really over able and able to stay over on their own positive message. And um, it just created a huge opening for the party in this state that felt like it was about two to four years earlier than any of us expected it. Yeah. And that's another important note is that Governor Kemp's underwater, not because of any more Democratic or independent um, flips. It's because his own party. It's because so many people in his own party um, is because of quadrupling in in, in the uh, disapproval rating over the last year, uh, and that just reflects the challenges he has ahead of him. Because um, he and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan were on the forefront of defending. Georgia's election, saying that there was no widespread voting fraud, debunking conspiracy theories that, that President Trump pushed um, to try to overturn, illegally overturn Georgia's election. They're the ones who fought back about it, and now they're paying the price um, in, the, in, in these initial polls. And, and that leads us to the second big bucket um, that we pulled, and that involves the voting changes, because the big, the big debate in the legislature this year has got to be voting rights and voting access and ballot access. And a new set of bills were introduced just a few days ago that would ban automatic voter registration, ban ballot drop boxes, and restrict no-excuse absentee voting in Georgia. Um, And one of the really interesting finds we had was that most Georgia voters say they don't believe there was fraud in the election and they don't want new restrictions. Um, But there's one kind of bigger catch, most also support requiring IDs for absentee ballots. So they're saying we don't want to limit absentee voting, but we do support um, some sort of photo verification or ID verification for mailing in your votes. Yes. And I've been really interested to see how Republicans are going to sell to voters the concept of overhauling an election system that all of the statewide officials have just come off of an election saying there was no fraud. We counted, we recounted, we audited, we matched the signatures. Nothing was wrong with this election. And by the way, let's look at some major ways to change that. You know, I was I have not been understanding where the argument would come from. I did hear an interesting argument from Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, who said um, he is for, I think, maybe a middle path on some of these election laws. He does back uh, the photo ID for um, for absentee balloting. And he has said he's looking to modernize voting, that absentee voting looks to be the, the kind of the future of voting here in Georgia. And what can we do proactively or what can they do proactively to make sure that that remains a safe and um, a safe and secure system. Um, and so that to me was an argument I had not heard before. Um, and I think Republicans are going to need to really sell it to the electorate um, because uh, while Republicans, I think, are willing to look at changes to voting, um, Democrats, especially Democratic state legislators, um, are very suspicious of it and very suspicious and already saying out loud, this is no more than an effort to choose your own voters and to eliminate from the voter pool people who didn't vote for you in the last election cycle. And I think this sets up to be a really emotional, um, potentially divisive and partisan uh, debate down here at the Capitol. Um, And it will certainly set up a 2022 election cycle where it will be a primary um, argument when we hear those candidates out there in the future. Yeah, you're exactly right. And there is, I mean, look, Democrats 
are going to oppose any sort of restrictions on voting. Anything they see, they see as something that would suppress the vote. Um, Republicans feel like they can't leave the session without something. And that will be where the rub is. Um, and you, you've got Governor Kemp, Lieutenant Governor Duncan, and Speaker Ralston all supporting some sort of ID verification for absentee votes. Um, you've got this poll that shows a majority, 74% of Georgians in this poll say that they support requiring voters to include a copy of their photo, photo ID or any other documentation in order to cast an absentee ballot by mail. And I've heard privately from Democrats saying, um, they might not say it publicly quite, quite loudly, but they're saying privately that they support um, this. They just, they just don't want to extend this to banning drop boxes or limiting the types of people who can vote by mail or limiting or restricting automatic voter registration. All those things, all those other things we polled that showed um, uh, staunch op- Georgians were staunchly opposed to or, or more evenly split on, uh, that's where they don't want uh, Republicans going. Yeah, that's so interesting. And 74%, that's a huge number. And for most legislators, that's a green light to do something in that area. Um, And well before um, the legislative session, I spoke with Brad Raffensperger, and he raised this, this uh, photo ID issue for absentee balloting. It's something he's had his eye on for quite some time. And his argument is that um, because voters are required to show photo ID when they vote in person, um, there should not be two different sets of standards for security and photo require or an ID requirements based on how you're voting. He would like to see a consistent standard across the board, no matter where you're voting, you should need to do the same thing to prove your ID. Um, and so that'll, that'll be an argument that we'll hear as well. And one more note on the poll before we move on to our last topic, but um, 58% of Georgia voters said they do not believe there is widespread voter fraud in the 2020 election. Uh, Among the 33% uh, or so, 37% or so, who said they did believe there is widespread voter fraud, about three quarters of them are Republican. Um, So uh, that just shows you that yes, among Republicans, and this is no surprise to anyone who's been who's been following Georgia politics, but um, Republicans still believe there was uh, many Republicans still believe in in Trump's falsehoods about widespread voter fraud, whereas most Democratic most most Democrats and most independents, most moderates, um, most liberals, most people who. I'm looking at the cross tabs right now. Uh, most people with college educations, most people over 65, <laughs> they they all believe that there's no widespread voter fraud. Um, so that's a challenge that Republicans have to continue to face among their own electorate. And speaking of challenges, uh, we're also talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is, according to an AJC analysis that our colleagues Mark Nisi and Jennifer Peebles did uh, a few days ago, um, Marjorie Taylor Greene's district was one of the areas with the lowest voter participation where where voting dropped off signif- most significantly from the between the November elections and the Senate runoffs. So clearly uh, President Trump's um, false claims of a rigged election in Republican heartland areas like Northwest Georgia took a toll. 
Oh, yeah. And Donald Trump was there the night before the election in Dalton at a big rally that you went to um, saying uh, stop the steal uh, in advance of uh, of that election day. And there were so many messages even coming from Republicans um, saying don't vote in this election. Your senators haven't done enough to fight for Donald Trump. Another message we heard a lot was why would you vote in this election? You couldn't trust the results anyway. It's already been rigged. Um, and you, that didn't affect all GOP voters, obviously, but it did affect, um, according to Mark Nisi's analysis, the most Republican voters and the most Republican areas, including Marjorie Taylor Greene's district. Um, so while that is heavily Republican, they didn't get all of the Republican voters that they needed to get out there. Um, and if you can't deliver those voters on election day, you're going to have a major problem and we'll see how it holds um, for the next election. But certainly you don't want to have a cycle um, where that's happened. And I know that Mark spoke with a voter on the phone who said, I didn't vote in January and I don't know if I'll ever vote again, a Republican voter from, mm -hmm. from Rome. Um, that is every Republican's worst nightmare. <laughs> we have a, a, a signed in sealed Republican voter who's not going to vote again. That's a disaster. And so they're going to need to do some work to repair that. Yeah, it's, it's exactly what you said. It's a disaster for Republicans. It's a nightmare. Um, and, and, you know, we go back to Marjorie Taylor Greene um, because you know, she's at the center of Washington debate about whether or not she should retain her committee post, whether or not she should be reprimanded um, for these falsehoods. But even as we were covering these Senate runoffs, she was she was among the leading Republicans in Georgia who continued to harp on these false false claims of of election, a rigged election and, and, and widespread voting fraud. And even as the Senate runoffs barreled down the chute, right, right, we were we were nearing the Senate runoffs. Republicans were quietly and not so quietly begging, <laughs> begging their their colleagues there to, to to tone it down, to focus on the Senate runoffs and not on not on President Trump's grievances. Um, and it's it might not be the main the only reason that the the Senate incumbents lost, but it's certainly uh, reason 1A why they lost. Reason 1B being Democrats did their job and had soaring turnout, especially among African-Americans who don't typically vote in these statewide runoffs. Yeah. And Marjorie Taylor Greene, even up in Congress to this day, wears a mask that says Trump won. So she's still pushing this narrative on the floor of the U.S. House, um, really for everybody to see. I have to apologize. There's a train going past me. <laughs> um, right outside the Capitol. I apologize for that. Um, but she's pushing that false narrative. And now it really, I've been amazed at the effect that um, Marjorie Taylor Greene is having on the entire Republican Party itself and Congress um, as she's pushed the conspiracies about voting, conspiracies about Parkland, about the San Andy Hook shooting. She has really um, pushed this party to start to make decisions about whether they're going to be um, with Marjorie Taylor Greene or not, to the point that the um, Democratic Congressional Committee has just put in um, several hundred thousand dollars worth of, worth of ads that literally say, you're either with QAnon or you're with us. Um, and she's having an effect on her entire party um, in a way that I think her party may not have even anticipated. Yeah, it's fascinating because I always thought she... Georgia Democrats were trying to make her the face of the Georgia Republican Party. But now she's fast becoming the face of 
the national Republican Party, at least in terms of the Democratic framing and public polls that have come out, national polls show her with soaring disapproval ratings. Um, and look, that doesn't mean that she's going to be uh, exiled or anything like that either, because she still retains um, her base of support in her district and um, from from you know, hardcore Trump supporters and she's raising money and the cycle of grievance, the cycle of, um, and it's very familiar, uh, to those of us who have watched Marjorie Taylor Greene for a long time. Um, she never apologizes. Um, she rarely scales back her comments. Instead, she calls herself a victim. She wears face masks that say that she's censored and that, and that she's some sort of fighter for free speech that's being sidelined, even as she has a giant megaphone at the U.S. Congress. Um, and then she goes around, wash, wins, repeat. You know, she goes raise money off of it, and then she finds something else. Um, it's controversial to say. And then she says she's being victimized again. And the same cycle happens over and over and over and over again. So to expect her to apologize and to um, and to somehow um, uh, change her tune is is to expect something that's not going to happen. Yeah, and I think the real question is going to be what does that do to her influence in Congress? Not her influence on cable news and parlor, but her influence with her colleagues. Um, so much of um, getting anything done for an individual district is having friends in Congress, especially in the majority party who you can go to and say, hey, I know you've got this bill moving. I'd really like to get something done for my district on X, Y, and Z, or this piece is really important to me. Can I give it to you to take the ball to run mm -hmm. with it? Um, and so if Green becomes so ostracized and marginalized um, and uh, potentially gets to see her influence even on committees being taken away or diminished, um, that's really ultimately only going to hurt her district. And so there's a way to be an outspoken um, conservative and even in Congress, an outspoken conspiracy theorist and not um, and still have sort of a back behind the scenes um, charm offensive or even a behind the scenes functional relationship with your colleagues so that you are able to get work done for your district. Um, and we're seeing a number of editorials out of the 14th district um, with the Rome News Tribune and the Dalton Daily Citizen saying we're not being represented right now. Marjorie Taylor Greene's opinions are being represented, but what is being done for the district? And that's really going to be the question um, for the for her constituents. Now, maybe for her voters, it might be fine in a Republican primary, but really what does it do to the schools and hospitals and, um, and, and uh, uh, groups looking for support in DC? Um, her behavior now will have a, have, a, have a real effect on that as long as she's in Congress. Look, one example she can look to is her predecessor, Tom Graves. When Tom Graves was in the Georgia State House, uh, he was a pariah of sorts. He had this. He had his own caucus um, that that met quietly on the second floor or basement of the Capitol, if I remember correctly. Um, and they determined to be a thorn in the side to Republican leadership. They would vote against um, bills. They would they would push issues that, that the establishment Republican Party didn't like. And when he ran for Congress, he did not find much established from support, even as he won the seat. And there was a lot of worries, um, not quite nearly the, the same situation as Marjorie Taylor Greene, but there's a lot of worries that, that he, he would be, he would quickly become a pariah in Congress. And he didn't, he reversed course. 
Um, he, he became one of the most respected Republican members of the Georgia de- delegation and the senior most. He had, he had a, a tremendous amount of influence and, um, and, and just didn't become um, the sort of caricature that, that some people thought he would be when he was elected to the seat. So he is an example. He's not an example, I think, that Marjorie Taylor Greene will, will follow because she's already uh, shown uh, where, where, what she intends to do um, with her Twitter feeds, with her continuing of refusing to apologize for bigoted, racist, xenophobic, anti-Semitic remarks she's made over the years, and for literally endorsing the execution of top Democrats who she now serves with. Um, but still, it, it is interesting looking back at Tom Graves, um, because he represented that district, and he showed you how you can still be an outspoken conservative, but also serve your constituents. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, when you drive around the 14th district, it really is an area that's booming. Um, and I think the graves had a lot to do with um, keeping that area healthy and uh, keeping a really good line of communication open um, for the district to D.C. and uh, and not just for the far right Republican voters either. I think that other members um felt like they could go to him and um, his constituents felt like they could go to him. And so um, it'll be, a, it's a real test for green. You know, there's just a, um, not even a fine line. There's just a difference between being, uh, being heard and being listened to in Congress. And so um, it'll be really important how, how she chooses to, to go forward from here um, in terms of how she's able to serve her district. Perfect way to end this discussion. Patricia, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.